Let's pray. God, our Savior, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher of faith and truth and show us how we are called to live. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today we continue our series on 1st and 2nd Timothy as we read the first seven verses of the second chapter of 1st Timothy. So listen now for God's word for us today. First of all then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. This is right, and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a payment to set all people free. This was a testimony that was given at the right time. I was appointed to be a preacher and an apostle to this testimony. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I like to start off with a question for you. So I have a question for you. Have you come to a knowledge of the truth? Well, the request in the first verse from the second chapter of 1 Timothy, it seems simple enough. I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. But then, then things get a little complicated. Pray for kings and everyone who's in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. This uh, a Methodist preacher and author, Will Williman, told of a conversation he had with a woman who had, she had known him back when he was the chaplain at Duke University. She confessed to him that she had left the Methodist Church and become an Anglican. Well, as I recall it, he said, later that doesn't distinguish you from a lot of other people. <laughs> but you have to know, Will's got a little edge sometimes. Well, she was, she told him she was generally happy with her decision to become an Anglican, but she had one complaint. It's always something, right? Part of the Anglican worship service has the congregation pray for various officials by name. She didn't like that. Well, see, I already knew this because our family visited an Anglican church once on the Sunday just before 9-11. We visited an Anglican church just a few blocks from our house. So that September 9th, we all prayed for Charles, Michael, and George by their Christian names, referring to the city of Raleigh's mayor at that time, Charles Meeker, the North Carolina governor, Michael Easley, 
and the President of the United States, George W. Bush. What Willimon told his lapsed Methodist friend was, the great advantage of that Anglican tradition is it makes worshipers pray for people we might not even like. People we might not have voted for. And people we might not even want to be blessed. Well, as angry and ugly as our politics has gotten, it might, we might sympathize that formerly Methodist lady, but right here in the Bible, we read that we are to pray not just for our family, our friends, our church family, not just for the people we love, people we like, but everyone, including kings and everyone who's in authority. Well, just think about their situation, their context. They were not ruled by a friendly old King Cole, nice guy. Their king was a vassal king, someone put on the throne by the Roman emperor. Did I mention that you got to be king got to stay king only as long as you stayed on the emperor's good side. <coughs> Furthermore, you did not get to be emperor by being a great humanitarian, a pleasantly polite Eagle Scout kind of fellow. And you certainly did not keep being emperor by being friendly Mr. Congeniality. Emperors were not some sort of Mr. Rogers with power. They were not the type to give reassuring fireside chats, you know, like FDR did in the first year in the Great Depression and then later to comfort folks in the, in the Great World War II. No, Roman emperors were men who declared themselves gods. They commanded daily worship or else. You didn't get a fine, you got a cross. They did not want you to pray for them. They wanted you to pray to them. Well, these verses from 1 Timothy give us two reasons to pray for kings, leaders, and all in authority. The first is strategic, so we can live a quiet and peaceful life, you know. Don't attract too much attention like in the negative way. But the second reason is theological. We're to do this kind of praying for all because it's right. It pleases God. God who wants everyone to be saved. Okay, we got that message, right? Pray for everyone, including all in authority, not just the good guys, but even the leaders who may be corrupt, cruel, incompetent, all of them. So what do we pray for them? Well, perhaps you remember a suggested prayer from that uh, play and movie, Fiddler on the Roof. The setting is the oppressed little Russian village of Anatevka, early 1900s. The Russian rabbi is asked, is there a proper blessing for the Tsar? Sort of their emperor, right? And the old guy pauses a moment and says, hmm, of course, God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. <laughs> well, that wasn't the prayer that he had in mind here, I think. Consider the four kinds of prayers we are told to pray for all people. Their requests, their prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. 
The writer of 1 Timothy describes four different kinds. First, their requests. The Greek word that's used here, it's not so much a religious word. You might make a request of God or your neighbor across the street, can I borrow a cup of sugar or whatever? But it conveys a sense of need. One of the commentators on the New Testament, William Barclay, says, prayer begins with a sense of need. Well, because I'm colorblind, I often make requests of my family to help me match clothing or tell whether meat is sufficiently cooked or other kind of colored request on the football game, you know, which, which team is wearing dark and light? Don't tell me red and, <laughs> red and pink. I can't tell those. Okay, so there are requests that come from need. Then there are prayers. You can make a request to God or to a human being, but prayers, despite what the Roman emperors thought, prayers are only for God. Uh, Bishop Barclay says that there's a there's a strength only God can give. There's a forgiveness that only God can grant. There's certainty that only God can bestow. And third, there are petitions. Petitions are associated with coming into a king's presence, submitting a petition to him or if the queen would be her. But think about it this way. Almighty God, creator of all that is, allows you and me to bring in our needs, our petitions to him in prayer. And the fourth prayer is the thanksgiving. Too often we have this long wish list. We submit to God and, and maybe a few reminders of things that were on last week's list that hadn't happened yet, right? We're, we're invited to bring our, our needs, our requests, our petitions to God, but part of, part of godly living, happy living, is giving God thanks for our many blessings. That's part of what I heard in Erica's letter today. Thanksgiving. So God's salvation extends to all, and so we're to pray for everyone. This was not the first time believers had been told to pray for even scoundrels. When the children of Israel were suffering in exile in Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah wrote them instructions to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, praying for everyone pleases God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And what is this truth God wants us to come to a knowledge of? The knowledge that there's one God, one mediator between God and humanity, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a payment to set not just you and me, but all people free. This echoes what we read in the book of Ephesians where we're called to Try to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties us together. He says you're one body and one spirit, just as God has called you into one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all.
So let me ask you again. Have you come to a knowledge of this truth? Thanks be to God. Go in the fellowship of God's presence. And as you go, remember that in the goodness of God, you are born. In the providence of God, you have been kept every moment of your life. And in the love of God, fully revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, you are redeemed. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and every moment of your life. Amen.